Um, you know, I was thinking about it as, as we were worshiping together this morning. I mean, what, what, we're, what we're doing here can, could, in, in a sense, as far as the actions that we're doing, could be done by anybody. Um, anybody could sit in, in chairs and, and sing these same songs. Anybody could come up and, and, and say words. Uh, but, but, but underneath the surface, what's going on is, is very supernatural. Uh, God says in his word, he inhabits the praises of his people. And, and the word of God, it says, is, is alive and it's, and it's active. And on a sense, in one sense, what we're doing on, on, the, on the empirical plane, what you can see and touch and hear could be imitated. But in the supernatural sense, this can only be done through the power of God in the things we can't see. So if we're about to, to do this, um, we ought to ask God um, to be here. Uh, Father, as we look into your word we pray that we would not just have mental understanding of the words and the logic of the sentence structures, but that, God, your word would become alive. And that it would penetrate our hearts, dividing soul and spirit. That we might be convicted. That we might be encouraged. That, that we might have our eyes opened by your spirit so that we could see your son and glorify the father. Father, inhabit our praises because you alone are worthy of praise. Father, bring the word alive because it is living and it is active. Teach us and show us yourself this morning. And it is humbly in the name of your son that we pray. Amen. We've been looking through the book of 1 John together. Um, today we're going to wrap up chapter 4. If you haven't been with us, we've been doing this study for probably a couple months now. And next, uh, the next two weeks we will look at chapter 5. Um, and then we'll be concluding the First John um, series, and then we're going to be moving into a series on marriage. We'll see if that will help me in my endeavors. I, uh, th- this, th- today's sermon is called Born to Live. You know, Steppenwolf said we were born to be wild, okay? Um, Bruce Springsteen, the boss, said that we were born to run, Um, But first John, John the Apostle, who's probably more inspired than the first two guys I mentioned, said that we are born to love. And today we're going to look at at what that means. Um, I remember the first time I was in love. I was six years old. Her name was Carly Meredith. This was one of those deep forever loves, you know. Um, I remember her and I kissing on the top of her playhouse in her basement uh, we were playing house. We didn't, we know, we saw our parents, they're kissing us. So we, you know, that's what we, anyway, we won't go farther down that road. Um, but, but, here's the problem, guys. There was another woman, right? My babysitter. <laughs> Pam Johnson, she's the one with the enormous perm, right? Now, this is complicated times in the life of a six-year-old. Because I loved Carly, but I also really loved Pam. And, and, and I remember one weekend when my parents were away, she was babysitting us over the weekend, and she was tucking um, us in at night, and I said, you know, Pam, um, my mom and dad always give me a goodnight kiss, and I'm feeling awfully sad with them being away. Would you mind kind of stepping in and, and filling in that role? And, and so she did, sucker. And uh, I thought, man, what a, <laughs> what a weird little kid I was. 
Um, but but we, you know, we call this kind of love, we call it puppy love, right? Where it's just kind of, you know, this young love. We would say, that's not real love. You didn't really love Pam. You didn't really love Carly. Well, that you might say that love's not real, but don't tell that to the puppy, right? The, the puppy feels like this is real love. And there, there are many kinds of love that we experience in our lives. And I think it's a shame that we translate all of these things into that same four-letter word, love. There is, there is puppy love, there, there's romantic love, sensual love, there's patriotic love for, for country, there's brotherly love, bro- love for family and friend. But then there's, there's this one love, this, this pure, true love of God. We know it as agape love that stands among the rest. And what John wants to do in this chapter is, is focus us on this love of God. And so in this chapter, what we see him doing, we see love is defined, we see love is demonstrated, and then I bet you, you know it starts with a D, love is demanded of us. And the, the, what, the purpose of, of what I want to do this morning is to answer the question, how does the love of God result in us loving other people? How does the fact we're going to see today in John 4, God is love, how does that fact connect with the fact that we are, are to love other people? And based on what I see in here in 1 John 4, I believe the answer to that is the new birth. That we have been born again, and, and within that new birth lies the answer of the connectivity between God's love and, and ours. So first of all, let's look at love defined. Verses 7 and 8. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God... Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I love this. Remember, we said this epistle is kind of like a spiral, and it keeps coming back to these three tests for assurance of salvation. And we're going back around to this idea of of the, the social test. Do we know that we have eternal life? Well, are we loving? But today he's going to go a little bit deeper, pull the curtain back, and take us a little bit behind the scenes into how this works. And it's interesting here, look what he says in verse 7, he says, love is from God, but then in verse 8 he says God is love. So which one is it? Is it it from him or is he love? Well to me, these ideas are not at odds, they're two different ways of saying the same thing. See, love does not come from God in the way a letter comes from a mailman. When the mailman comes, he delivers you the the, the letter, it has nothing to do with the, the nature of the mailman. He didn't write it to you. It's not from him. He's just a delivery boy, right? He's the messenger giving you the letter. God is not giving us love. Like He's like, oh, there's some love. And he picks it up and he hands it to us. That's not what John is saying here when he says love is from God. Love is from God the way heat is from fire. The way that light is, is from the sun. It's part of God's very nature woven into the fabric of who he is. You see, heat is from fire because fire is heat. Light is from the sun because the sun is light and love comes from God because God is love. So so then we ask the question, what is it about God that makes that love a necessary part of his nature? 
In other words, why is God love? Why must God be love? And to understand that, we, we need to understand that love demands an object. You can't just kind of have love like it's just this orbital feeling around you. Love demands an object. I must love something or, or love someone. And, but there was a time when no one else was here, when, when you and I weren't here, when the world wasn't created. So if that's the case, what was the object of God's love? Well, look in John 17. This is the beautiful prayer that Jesus prays before he's taken to the cross. John 17, he says, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, and here it is, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Before you and I ever came into existence, God loved the Son. Since eternity passed, God loved the Son with all the energy that lies within him. We, we, we call it the Trinity, that God is three persons in one. Before anything else was created, God was in relationship with himself. And so simply put, God is love because the relationship between God the Father and God the Son is a relationship of love. So love is defined by looking at the character of God, but we still say, well, yeah, but we still didn't say what love is. Like, what does it look like? Show me, you know, what, what that means. We've just said that it's, it's from God. Well, John takes us forward to see love demonstrated verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Now notice the, the word here. He says he showed his love. Your translation in your Bible, it might, it might say manifested. I like that word. I think it's richer. Um, the word manifested means this, to make something visible. To make something known which was previously not known. To expose it into view. To, to show what it looks like. And, and God's love, any love, you can't know it. You can't see it until it's been put into action. And so at the cross... God made himself totally transparent. At the cross, Jesus, God said, here I am. This is, this is what I am. This is who I am. This is all that I am. You want to see me? You want to know me? You want to understand my love? Look at the cross. And in the cross, we see love demonstrated from, from two points of view. And the first one is in the sacrifice of the Father. He says here, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Mothers and fathers in this room today, think of what God went through when he sacrificed his child for the good of another. You see, a thing's value is directly linked to its uniqueness. A thing's value is directly linked to its uniqueness. In other words, a diamond is valuable because it's so rare 
because it's so hard to find and, and produce. Dirt, what do we call We say it's dirt cheap because dirt is everywhere, right? It's very, very easy to find dirt. If you have a two-year-old, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Dirt is everywhere. It's not as valuable. Therefore, when verses 9 and 10 say that God made his love visible by sending his one and only son, he is saying that God willingly sacrificed, turned his back on, forsook the thing that was more valuable to him than anything else in the universe. That's love. And the reason that Jesus was so valuable to God is in this phrase, he says, his one and only son. Other translations say begotten. You say, oh, I've known that. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That word begotten, it means to be made of the same substance as. Jesus was made of the same divine substance as God himself. Jesus is God. And, and, and he was sent into the world. He, say, he doesn't say that God created Jesus. It says he sent him into this world. Now, yes, the mode was through Mary. He was born, you know, from a womb. But, but ultimately, he was sent by God. And he stands a, apart from everything else in this universe because everything else in this universe was created. There are hundreds of thousands of angels that God made that worship him and serve him and are his messengers. You and I are one of a billions of people that have been created on this earth. Now, each and every one of us is infinitely valuable to God. He knows the hairs on our head, and he loves each of us enough to send his son. But there is only one begotten, and that's Jesus. And he demonstrated his love for us by willingly sacrificing him. That's love. Self-sacrificial, doing what's the best for another love. That's the sacrifice from the Father. But we also see his love demonstrated in the sacrifice of the Son. See, first of all, we ask, what was it? What was the sacrifice? See, oftentimes when we talk about Jesus and what he did, we talk about his sacrifice being his death. Now, yes, that ought to be the focus. That Jesus died for us. That's in the heart of the gospel. But we also need to understand that for Jesus, just becoming a man, becoming a, a human being like one of us, required great humiliation. Pastor Larry called it the great condescension. That God would come down and dwell with man. And, and, and Paul says it way better than I could. He says, Jesus, is who he's talking about here, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be held on to. Rather, he made himself nothing. That word is kenosis, to empty himself. Now, Jesus was still God. He was still 100% God and 100% man. But what he's saying here is he emptied himself of the form of God, that spirit form, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, before he came here, was in spirit form. He could be anywhere at any time. But he chose, for our sake, to inhabit the finite body, flesh and bone body of a human being. And to understand this, this is not just Jesus came down here for a while, then went back and got go back to spirit form. 
Jesus became a man, and when he rose again, he was raised in a glorified body, but it was still a body. And forever, right now, he's seated at the right hand of God in a human body. For the rest of all time, Jesus is going to have a body. He did that for you and I. And, and you know, at, at Christmas time, we celebrate the joy of his birth as we ought. But for Jesus, that was a great sacrifice to put on human flesh. And yet he humbled himself, not kicking and screaming, not moaning and grumbling. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him. He did this for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. He knew what was coming, and it was worth it to him. And so Jesus showed his love by becoming a man and then being killed as a man. And why did he do this? Why was this sacrifice made? The reason this great condescension was necessary is because the only way that you and I could become sons and daughters of God, to be brothers and sisters of the only begotten. Verse 10 says it this way, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This, this phrase, atoning sacrifice, um, the, the, like the King James Version of this would be propitiation, which is just a, a big word to say. It, it means to appease or turn away the wrath of a holy God by satisfying violated justice. Or as we sing it, on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. You see, it says God, God is holy. He cannot be in the presence of unholiness. And because he's also a just God, he must, a good judge judges fairly and rightly, he must punish all sin. But Jesus came to this world to take the punishment for us. Every sin that has ever been committed, he was punished for. And what happened here is the wrath that you and I deserved was poured out not on us, but on Jesus. And in that moment, I believe the greatest sacrifice wasn't the nails going through his flesh. It was the moment when he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Because God had to turn his back on his son for the first time in all of eternity. This love relationship that he had with him had to be temporarily severed because the sins of the world rested on Jesus and God's wrath was poured out on him. So what is love? It's God willingly pouring out his wrath on his one and only begotten. And it's Jesus willingly having his father turn his back on him and receiving that wrath so that you and I could be called sons of God. That is love. So we, we see that love defined, God is love. We see love demonstrated in Jesus and in God and what they did at the cross. But now we get to our part, love demanded. Love demanded. And first of all, we look at it, its mandate. Look at where he goes with this in verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see that? See that connection that he makes? Since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, what does that ought mean? When he says you ought to love, we can easily look at that and go, oh, okay, I got it. So I'm supposed to look at Jesus and his example in the Gospels, and then I'm to go out and do the same thing. I look at Jesus and I copy him, right? What would Jesus do? Okay, I obey the bracelet, right? I, I, do, I do what Jesus would do. I, I imitate him. 
But if we, if we make it that, then we ignore the first five verses that we just read. Look at what he said back in verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Love is not initiated with us. It is defined in God. It originates in God. And it's manifest in us from God. He initiates love. No, here, and, and John Piper argues the ought here, we ought to love in the same way that a fish ought to swim. In, in the way a bird ought to fly. In the way that all living creatures ought to, to breathe. When you, when you eat a, a peach, it ought to be sweet. When you eat a lemon, it, it ought to be sour. Hyenas, they ought to laugh, right? And, and you and I ought to love. It's rooted in the, in the new birth. Because the fish is born of another fish, it is born to swim. That's what it does by nature. And because you and I were born of love, what we are to do, what we ought to do is love by nature. It's not watch God love us and copy him. It's watch God love us and believe it and know it and be changed by it and become it. This is what he means by we ought to love. It's the difference between imitation and realization. We're not playing copycat here. This is realizing that God's love is in us and being expressed through us. You see, it's the difference between moralism and true Christianity. Growing up, um, I was obsessed with basketball. I wanted to be just like Michael Jordan, as did many of children my age around the world in the early 1990s. In fact, Gatorade even had a commercial to express this. It was the, if I could be like Mike. Remember that one? Ooh, if I could be. Okay, maybe I'm the only one that watched TV in the 90s. That's cool. Um, but we wanted, I wanted that to be me, right? I wanted to be like Mike. And, and so imagine if I went about this and I, and I watched all of Michael Jordan's games and I just studied him meticulously every, every move. You know, I, I do everything I can. I go out in the yard and I'm practicing my slam dunks and, um, you know, I, I, I dress like him. I've got the tongue thing down. You know, I, I do everything that Michael, am I ever going to become Michael Jordan? No, no, I am cut from a different cloth, right? I'm white, right? I will never have the athletic skills of Michael Jordan. I'm five foot nine and a half. You know, it's, it's only short people that throw in the halves and the quarters, you know? He never says, I'm six nine and a quarter. Um, I am never going to be Michael Jordan, but imagine if I was Michael Jordan's son. Imagine if I was born of Michael Jordan, and, and I inherit his skills and in his physique that my genetic code is, 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 is his genetic code. I am born of Mike, and therefore I ought to be like Mike. And in the same way, Christianity is not looking at Jesus and copying him. It is being born of God. And realizing his nature is in us. This is crazy. This is supernatural. Jesus, back to Jesus' prayer in John 17. Look at what he says. This is the most incredible prayer that's ever been prayed in my mind. I have made you, God, known to them 
and will continue to make you known. Here's why. In order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. Do you see, do you hear what Jesus is praying here? As I pray that they would receive the love that you have for me. We are invited, we are drawn into the love that the Trinity has had within itself since the dawn of time. Since before creation. We are invited into that love. We get that love. We get Jesus in us. And then by nature, he is expressed through us as we walk by faith. Incredible truths. And watch what happens when we love as we ought. Here's its manifestation of of carrying this out. This is so beautiful. No one, John says, has ever seen God. Remember, he's in spirit form. He's not in flesh and blood like you and I are. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Did you catch that? It says when we love each other in action, in deed, in real time, you know what's happening supernaturally? God is abiding in us. He is living in us. And that love is brought to its completion. This is, this is so profound. Like, I, um, to, to, it's a story to kind of flesh this out. Um, David Legg, um, he, he's told this story. He said, a Salvation Army worker found a derelict woman squatting alone in the street. She invited her to come in for help to this little Salvation Army chapel, but the woman refused. And so the worker asked again. She said, we love you and we want to help you. God loves you, and Jesus died for you. The woman didn't budge an inch. She just stayed where she was. It was as if at that moment then that the Salvation Army woman had a divine impulse, and she ran to the drunk lady, and she kissed her and threw her arms around her, hugging her in a warm embrace. And that drunken woman began to sob, And through her weeping, she was heard to say, like a little child, you told me God loved me, but it wasn't until you showed me that God loved me that I wanted to be saved. You see, the first time in in human history that the world saw the love of God was when Jesus of Nazareth was born of a virgin and walked this earth. And he loved and he healed the sick and and he wrapped his arms around the brokenhearted. He showed the world what God looked like. But now Jesus went back, but he left a body behind. And that's you and I. The only way the world can see God's love, can, can see God, can know him, can have him be manifest, made known, made visible, is when you and I go across the street to our neighbor and hug them and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice and hand the person a cup of water and are generous with our time and our possessions. That's love in action. That's making God known to the world so that people not just know, oh, okay, that's kind of what God is like. No, they see God through the bride, through his body, loving. So what does this mean for us when we follow this, when we love as we ought, as is our nature? Its meaning is confidence now 
and confidence then. Remember the whole point of this this book. We we looked at it in chapter 5. We're going to get there next week. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, and here's the spoiler alert, so that you may know that you have eternal life. The purpose of this book is assurance, so that you and I can know that that life is in us, that we know God, that, that we are his children, that we have crossed from death to life. And in this book, and we don't have time to get into all the verses, but he says this is how we know that right now, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. And he goes on to say that we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember the doctrinal test? That we believe in the true God of the Bible, that through Jesus of the Bible, that he is Lord, that he is God, that he is Messiah. And that we love as we've been called to love. He says if you claim to love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. And the love of God is not in you. See, if we are not loving, we're living a lie. But if we are loving as we ought, because God is love and he is in us, being expressed through us, then we know that we are abiding in him and we can have assurance that we know him. Not only do we have confidence now, but we have confidence then. Look at verses 17 and 18. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus, loving like Jesus, loving with the love of Jesus. There is no fear, verse 18, in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So not only do we have confidence now that we know him, but there's a day coming when mankind stands before the judgment seat of God. And he says, if you know him, if you are confident that God loves you, you believe that Jesus was sent as an expression of that love to take your punishment and be your righteousness, then there's no reason to fear at the day of judgment. Because we've seen that love, we've experienced that love working through us, and it says there's no punishment. Because we know Jesus took the punishment for us. But if we do not know the love of God, if we do not believe that Jesus died for us, and we are not seeing that love expressed through us, we have every reason to tremble for the day of judgment. But where there is love, there is no fear. And God has loved us. So do not be afraid. And then the motive the motive behind this love that we ought to do is seen. This is so profound, so foundational. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. Do you hear that this morning? We love because he first loved us, not we love in order to get him to love us. We don't love in order to earn God's favor and his love toward us. No, we love out of an overflow of the unconditional love that God shows us and is expressing through us. That's why we love. Paul said the love of Christ compels us. It's the love in us that's being expressed through us. And so we know, back in verse 16, we know and rely on the love God has for us. If we are going to love each other as we ought, this word rely takes us back to faith. This is a love that's given from God through us 
The Holy Spirit produces Jesus' life in us, and we love as we ought. This is not us pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, and I'm going to love better today. This is the love of God that we rely on by faith. So to wrap this up, remember the first question that we asked ourselves. How does the love of God result in us loving others? Well, we've seen here in 1 John that, it's the, that God is love. His nature is love. And, and that we have been born of that God of love. And because he is in us, we love as we ought, just like a bird flies because it's mama bird flu. And Michael Jordan's son's better at basketball than me because he's born of Michael Jordan. We love because we're born of God. And here's two questions, two crucial questions that I want us to ask ourselves this morning. Number one, why does God love me? Why does God love me? The rest of your Christian walk will, will, will be off the path if we don't answer this question correctly. In other words, f- fill in the blanks here. God loves me because. God loves me because. God loves me because I deserve it. God loves me because I'm working for it. God approves of me, values me because I've done enough good things today. And I'm not saying don't answer it just, you know, on paper. How does your life reflect what you believe and how you would finish this sentence? You know how oftentimes, by the way I live, I would finish that sentence? I love, God loves me because I impress him with my success. That I believe the lie that if I'm good enough, God's going to go, wow, Justin, that was amazing. Great job. I love you, brother. You know, I, 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 I approve of you. But we, we have to believe and live. Belief means by life. Live to, to believe. God loves me because the only acceptable answer is God loves me because he is love. And he accepts me because of Jesus. And then in turn, that question is the foundation for question number two. Why do I love other people? Why do I love other people? See, if we believe that God loves us because we deserve it, then we're going to love other people if and only when they deserve it. Has that person earned my love? Have they done enough things for me? Have they impressed me? Have, 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 have they reciprocated that love? When I forgive, do they say I also forgive? What is the basis for us loving people? It's the same basis for why God loves us. I love them not because they deserve it, but because God is love and his love compels me to love them regardless of their response, regardless of their deserving. We love because he first loved us. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. And let's be like that Salvation Army girl and go out in this world and don't just tell the world God loves them. Let's show the world that God loves them. Father, we've been called to something great. We've been called to something beautiful. Deep calls to deep, it says in the Psalms. And what we've been invited into this morning and in our lives is something supernatural. As we sing, we do not sing songs, we glorify God. As we go through the word, it is not a book study. It is the life of Jesus made manifest, made visible to us. And as we go out into this world and show patience to our children and show understanding to our wives and, our, and, and do good things for that annoying person in the workroom at our job tomorrow, as we preach the gospel 
We're not just acting. We're not just imitating. We are watching your spirit produce the life of Jesus in us. You get the credit because you do the work. God, may we be a people of faith. May we be a people who believe you love us because you are love and because you gave us your son, that you can accept us because he's been punished on our behalf. He kept the law on our behalf and you are pleased with us because you are pleased with him and we can now be reconciled to you as sons and daughters because of what your only begotten did in that showing of love through his sacrifice. God, Paul prayed that we may have the power to understand how deep and how wide the love of the Father is and that Jesus has for us. Give us the supernatural ability this morning as we turn to praise you, to know that love, to believe that love, and become that love in the world around us. We pray these things in the name of your Son, who was sacrificed for us. Amen.